You can work your way over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 as we get into the scriptures this morning. And um, just want to just reread again the scripture reading. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Some of you have gotten a chance to know me a little bit. I've shared with you some of the stories and stuff as I was growing up. And, and perhaps, you know, friends that, that know me that are still alive, which aren't many from where I grew up, they look at me and they see, wow, you are a totally different person than what you once were. And, you know, the, the grace and, and the honor and the glory and the power is all from God. And, and, and it's great to be able to see that. However, it wasn't always like that for me. Um, and I can't pinpoint exactly when I was converted. Um, but I can tell you when the turning point for me was. I used to, um, I, I, I used to, I, I grew up sort of in the church, you know, but I wasn't quite in the church. You know how it is when your parents make you come to church and you kind of sort of listen. But when I was a teenager, I came from Puerto Rico to the U.S. and I got to experience some things. You heard of my, of my cousin Chico. Uh, you know, him and I hang out. We, we, we experimented a little bit here and there. We had a unique lifestyle. You know, we enjoy the old fashioned peace pipe. And so on, on Friday nights after AY, we would go and, and hit the peace pipe a little bit. Then I would show up Saturday morning and praise Jesus. And then on Saturday night, as much as I could, I would do the peace pipe, but I, I drank also, but I never danced. Or went into the movies because that was evil. You know what I mean? That, that was, just, you just couldn't do that. But no one talked to me about smoking or drinking. So, so that was okay. And, and so I did that for a while. And then when I was about 13, 14, something like that, my brother got arrested. When he got arrested, um, I was there when my mom got the phone call and my mom, and, and, and she just screamed, Wah! you know, all of that stuff. And so what happened for me is that, I did not want to make my mom suffer. So as a result, I started cutting out things out of my life. Friday nights, instead of going out, I stay home after, after leaving church. Uh, and then Saturday morning after church, I will just stay home again and not go out. And so somewhere along the way, when I started cutting out all of these things out of my life while still doing the church thing because my parents always made me come, suddenly I just fell in love with Christ. But I can't really pinpoint the exact moment when it was whatever. But it was out of love of my mother first rather than out of love of God or love for God. And that's what did it for me. And it happens for all of us where maybe we can't pinpoint our exact moment of conversion. However, it is evident in our lives that conversion has taken place. Look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we'll we'll read verse 8. And it says the following about how the Spirit works in us. Therefore, I'm sorry, the the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and from where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let us pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, as we discuss this concept this morning of the test of discipleship, what it really means, how do we know whether or not we are your disciples? We ask, Lord, that you anoint my lips, that it be you speaking and not I. And we ask, Father God, that you pour out your spirit to be here with us as we open your scriptures and look further into this topic. Prepare our hearts and our minds. It is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Here you have in the Gospel of John, here you have an explanation, an example of how the Holy Spirit works. It describes it like the wind. You don't see where it comes from or where it goes, but you see the effects. You see it on the leaves of the trees. You, you feel it in your face. You know, you, you see that there with the hurricane Hermine that we had. We, we saw the effects of the winds. They sent me some pictures of our church parking lot. It looked like a war zone here. Branches everywhere and leaves everywhere. You saw the effects of it. You are able to see that. And that's what happens with us. Although it may not be something that you can tell where it comes from or where it's going, when you open up yourself to the Holy Spirit, the effects of God working in you are very, very visible. One thing we must all understand is that we cannot create such change or such effects for ourselves. We can try, we can make it look all pretty, we can really go right ahead and, and see if we are able to create ourselves a, a new creature, maybe transform, but that really is impossible without God. No human can see the power, no human has the power, but yet we can see the effects. We can see the effects. And so this is what happens. The sooner we realize this, and we talked about this before, when we're trying to create a change, the sooner we realize we can't do it without him and give up and just surrender all to him, we're good. The problem is that we try to, you are too stubborn. We try to take things upon ourselves. We try to do it on our own. And I know for me, whenever I try to fix me, <laughs> I make a hot mess of things. Whenever I try to do things on my own without the help of God, it just becomes a much larger problem. I mean, that's what it comes down to. You know, I have a friend. You may have heard him today share the story. And I told you guys about him before. Uh, don't tell him after church what I've shared about him before. But, you know, I, 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 he says the following. You know, he sometimes fixes a car here, a bike there, etc. And he says, you know, Pastor Jay, he calls me. I want to make sure that if there's an issue, immediately when you have a problem, come to me. And I will help you along with it. Don't come and try to fix it by yourself. Make a bigger mess out of things and then come to me because I, I don't want to bother then. And, and he shares that because it, it's, it's very, very true. We make a mess of things, especially when we, ha we don't have the insight or the knowledge. Of course, my God will still welcome you with open arms, unlike my Uncle Vincent there. You know, but my God, my God just takes you anytime. But wouldn't it be better if we came to him before our life became a hot mess? Wouldn't it be much easier if it happened that way? However, I will tell you something else, though. It is, good, it is possible for us to fake it as though we are changed and we are transformed. You know, I, I have a friend who used to go to some of these meetings to help him overcome a certain lifestyle where the model was fake it till you make it. And that's okay. Sometimes through our selfishness, sometimes because people are watching, sometimes because we want to avoid the appearance of evil, we can get away with pretending to be a disciple, quite all right. And maybe we fool ourselves for years, but how can we really tell whether or not we are a disciple of Christ? Step to Christ, page 57 and 58. It says, The character is revealed not by occasional good deeds or by occasional misdeeds, but by the tendency of the habitual words and acts. In other words, by the trend of your life, by the pattern of your life, that's when the character is really revealed. It's not when you go out to a mission trip for one week somewhere in a third world country and you come back and say, whoop-de-doo, we are good for at least another five years before I have to go get my fix and do another mission trip. 
It is not an event here or there, but it's also not a misdeed or, or, or necessarily a good deed, but it's the tendency of your life. And I want to pause the reading here before I continue to page 50 of Steps to Christ, because this is something that I want you to understand. I grew up in a church where they literally tried to scare the heck out of us. They preach hellfire and fury. I was talking to someone the other day, and they shared to me how they heard a sermon, and it went something as follows. You know, you are driving a car, you're there with your wife, you get into an argument, you make it home, you ask each other for forgiveness, you're good to go. But what if, in the middle of argument, in the middle of the fight, you get into a car accident and you die? You know very well fire awaits you. That's not how it works. Praise God for his mercy and love who looks looks at the trend of our lives, looks at the tendency of all that we do, and we're not solely judged on one event. Praise God for his loving mercy and grace. But I'll keep reading. I'll keep reading from um, page 58, Steps to Christ. It is true that there may be an outward correctness of deportment without the renewing power of Christ. The love of influence and the desire of the esteem for others may produce a well-ordered life. Self-respect may lead us to avoid the appearance of evil. A selfish heart may perform generous actions. By what means, then, shall we determine whose side are we on? Well, uh, Sister Auntie Ellen asked the following questions. Who has the heart? With whom are our thoughts? Of whom do we love to converse? Who has our warmest affections and our best energies? I have a friend that I was talking to. Um, I actually just talked to her yesterday too. She has this guy named Bobby. She is not dating him or anything like that, but she is in love with Bobby. And she manages to speak about Bobby every chance she gets. I was telling her the other day how my daughter, you know, lost her tooth and she looks like a weird pirate. You know, just go, ah, holy matey, because the one tooth is missing. And, you know, and she was there. And so I shared that with her. And she says, oh, her tooth fell out. Wow. You know who also has teeth? Bobby has teeth. Oh, Bobby. And doesn't matter what conversation I have, she manages to bring it back to Bobby, I was telling her the, the week before how I had a flat and we had to put air in the tires. You know who also needs air? You know who breathes? Bobby breathes. I mean, so much that she speaks about Bobby that I think I'm in love with Bobby and I have not even met Bobby. I mean, she goes and just talks about Bobby this and Bobby that because that who has, that's who has her mind. And so when you think about your life, If you want to know, you know, because behaviors, you can't tell. Are you doing this just because people are watching or is it really that you're transformed? Are you doing this because it's a routine and you've been brought up in a certain way and this is just what we do. You come to church every week. It's like a club. You stand up certain times. You sit down certain times. How do I know that this is a God working in me or if it's just something that I'm used to? Something that has just been ingrained in me, but there's no connection there. Well, who are you thinking of? Are you a good old Seventh-day Adventist that once a week is when you think about Jesus? Or is he someone that is in your daily life? Is he someone that if someone is sharing with you a story about whatever, you're saying, well, you know who also breathes? Jesus. 
You know who also has teeth? Jesus. And you just manage to just think about Jesus all of the time. Is that, is that it? Yes? And so you got to ask yourself, who has our thoughts? Who is in our minds? Find your way to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And we'll go, I'm gonna, while you get there, I'm going to read from Steps to Christ, page 58. It says the following. If we are Christ's, our thoughts are with him. Our sweetest thoughts are of him. All we have are and are is consecrated to him. We long to bear his image, breathe his spirit, do his will, and please him in all things. And please him in all things. First Peter chapter 3. You guys have it? First Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 3. When you have it, say amen. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine linen. Verse 4. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. You know, so you have the following. You have the following. I had a church where I grew up in Camden, New Jersey. And we put such an emphasis on how people dress. You look a certain way. You behave a certain way. You talk a certain way. You did the part of a church member. But we never talked about the connection and the relationship with Christ. Years later, we found out that half of the church, there was all kinds of adultery taking place. People getting to know each other biblically, left and right. All kinds of habits and lifestyle, addictions and so forth. And, 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 and if we were to disfellowship people for, for falling short of the glory of God, the entire church would have been completely disfellowshipped because the emphasis was on the other things that were not as important. The outward thing. Here you have it from Peter in the Bible where don't let it be an outward thing. Don't let it be about the looks, but let it be an internal thing. And so this is what we need to focus. We can fake it long enough. I mean, I think of a tree. I'll get a couple of broomsticks in my house, bury it in the backyard. Then I get a couple of fruits with some duct tape and put it in there. And here you have the tree with all of these fruits. I mean, it's a really a fruitful, good-looking tree when it's all set up like that. I mean, it may look the part. I can even get some, you know, airbrush and, and, and paint the stuff green and the stuff brown and get all of the right colors, make that apple nice and red. But, you know, I can do all of that. But it is not real. It is not real. We can fake it and that's all right. But you see, this is what needs to happen in our work with God. You look at your life. You look at your fruits. You look at what you've been. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see that there. And if that's not what you are producing, some people think, by the way, that the fruit of the Spirit is plural. You have joy and peace, but I have patience. You know, it is one fruit. You either have it or you don't. So you can't say, I'm a joy God. I'm just not a patient guy. Well, my brother, my sister, that's not how it works. It's one singular fruit. And if you notice that you aren't producing it, don't fake it. Don't get duct tape and, and, and put those in your branches, okay? Go right ahead and go back to the source, the one that can give you all 
of the fruit. The one that can help you grow. That's how it works. Go with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And when you have it, say amen. Because you see, you can't say the love of Christ is in you. And then you are lacking the effects of having the love of Christ. You remember when I told you earlier that the Lord looks at the tendency of our lives? Some people take that to mean that because we're under grace, that we don't have to keep commandments, that we don't have to obey. And that's not what it works. What it means is that my God is loving and merciful with you. But if you accept him and let him into your life, your life will display a life of fruits, a life of obedience as a, you know what, I love you, I understand it. And because I love you, I want to show you my love by being faithful to you. Come on, if you can't say amen. Say ouch. First John chapter 4 verse 19. It says, we love him because he first loved us. This is First John 4 19. Verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Come on church, you can't say amen. Say ouch. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must must, not should try, not should attempt, but must love his brother also. Now, I know there's some unlovable people out there. And if you can think of any of them and you're having a difficult time, then it is time to pray, church. It is time for you to go back to Christ and say, Lord, I'm trying to love this person. I'm having a difficult time, but please perfect your love in me because this is going to be rough. This is a hard one. There's some that are easy. There's some of you that are great and easy to love, but there's some of us, mm -mm -mm, not so much. And so we need to think about that. We need to think about that because it is only when we have the love of Christ perfected in us that, you know, we see his divine grace and the love as a principle of our actions, that it begins to modify our characters. It governs our impulses. It controls our passions. It subdues enmity. It ennobles affection. And we were able to experience the sweetest life when we see his love filling us. And we're able to do that all around us. However, we need to guard against two things. Number one, we need to look at our own hearts and realize that there's absolutely nothing that we can do without him. Plain and simple. Try it as you may. You're always going to fall short of his glory. The sooner you realize this, I mentioned this earlier, you can give up and say, Lord, I surrender to you. Please take over my life because although I pretended very well for many, many years, I am truly not yours. And you can see that because in my heart, I'm still seeing and thinking and feeling a particular way. Number two, we need to think of the following. And is that we cannot rely just on grace alone. But we need to believe that because we are nothing, because we are nothing, we must trust in him. But if we trust in him, we must also do something. We cannot just be here and be bench warmers. Many of us, we love to claim John 3, uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. And the only requirement is that whosoever what? Believes, right? But believing is not enough. Go with me to uh, James chapter 2, verse 19. James chapter 2, verse 19. James 2 verse 19. And stay there in James because we're going to come back to it in a moment. Okay? James 2 verse 19. 
You guys have it? I'm not, I'm not hearing amen. I'm hearing the children, but not, not, not the adults. Amen? Yes? Amen. Excellent. It says, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Glory, hallelujah. Amen. Even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons believe and tremble. So believing is not enough. Even the demons believe and tremble. You have to understand that recognition that there is a God, believing that there is a God, it is not the same as truly, truly believing because even the demons believe and they tremble. So does the devil and it makes him the devil. So do the demons and it makes him the demons. So the other thing you need to understand is that believing is not sufficient. Hebrews 10, 16, we're not, we're not going to go there, but I'll read it for you. Just stay in James as we're going to back in a little bit. It says, this is the covenant that I make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I will write them. So if the law of God is written in our hearts, if it's written in our minds, would it not shape our lives? If it really is embedded in us. Because you see, this is how we know the test of discipleship. Obedience is a true test of whether or not you are a disciple. Obedience is a true test. Now, just because we obey doesn't make us disciples of him. We could get a whole bunch of atheists to come into a building like this and pretend to keep the laws and play church for a while. And this is where the distinction is. The question is, is there something that you are willing to do wholeheartedly? Are you doing it because you love God or are you doing it so that the neighbors don't see you? You know, like all of you, when I come visit you, remember I told you, you, you keep hiding your DVD collections from me because you don't want me to see it? Remember, who you are when no one is watching is truly who you are. And so, are you doing it because of me or are you doing it because that's who you want to be? Do you not steal because the Bible says thou shalt not steal or is it that you're just not a thief? And so when you look at through all of the things in the scriptures, is it just because you don't want to be, be that person? Or is it for the sake of other people? Because if stealing was legal and you wouldn't get in trouble with the law and you knew you could get away with it, will you then? If committing adultery wasn't something that would get you in trouble, will you do it then if you knew you could get away with it? And that's what you got to ask yourself. If the laws are written in your hearts and in your minds, will you not then reflect that in the way that you live your life? Just in case you don't understand what I'm saying, 1 John 5, 3 says, For the love of God, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. 1 John 2, 4, He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. Ephesians 2, 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, for it is the gift of God. So salvation is a gift. You cannot be saved by keeping the law, but if you love him, you will keep the law. Are you with me? To make that clear, James 2.17, right there where we were, let's read what it says there. James 2.17, you should all have it, right? So I hear, amen? Amen. It says, does also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith by itself if it does not have work, it's dead. Now, can works exist without faith? Yes, absolutely. Can there be works? We can all fake it till we make it, right? Works can exist without faith. But if you say I have faith and there is no works, mercy. Because faith without works is dead. 
This is why I push wholeheartedly and heavily. As you've heard me mention, those who be with me in meetings and in the trainings that we've done with the elders, I believe that every person ought to work. I believe that you shouldn't just come here and sit in the church and do nothing. I believe that, yes, you could come and sit and listen to the Word of God, but if you're not sharing the Word of God with someone in some way or another, I don't know if you studied the adult Sabbath school class. Remember with the adult Sabbath school class when, when he talked about, you know, your, your talents and stuff? Whatever God has given you, use that for the work of God. Remember that? That's very, very important. You have to use that for the work of God, whether he gave you a little bit or a whole lot. And so when we do nominating committee, when we do all of these different things, you know, we are trying to, to get people involved. And we're saying, man, we need Sabbath school teachers. Right now, with the Sabbath school classes that we're having, um, starting at 9.30, by the way, teachers, you show up at 9.15 or so to be ready for your 9.30 class. Students, show up at 9.30 sharp. They put a whole lot of work to be out here. You be there. You bring your kids. You are there. Show up to the classes, okay? But when they do that, we're struggling still to cover all of our Sabbath school classes with the teachers. We shouldn't. There's plenty of you here that can help us fill in and teach in those classes. We got to take care of our young people. We really, really must. I mean, how can they come here? And, you know, parents are like, well, we came out early. We tried really hard. We got our kids dressed. We fall out of the house this morning. We show up to class, and then there's no teacher there. Or you're combining the classes. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was there. My son, who was nine, was there with a 15 and a 16-year-old in the class because we had to combine classes because we didn't have enough to teach for the younger kids and for the older kids, and so they're all just in there. And that's a little bit discouraging. We got to look after our kids as much as we can. What do you mean we don't have teachers? We need you to be there. We need the help right here, right now. We got to look after our kids. I told you last week, you know, when it comes to like children crying or whatever else, you know, parents, you do your best to tell the kids to be quiet. You know, parents, you tell them, hey, children, shh, you're quiet in the house of God. However, the children will most likely listen or not listen. However they choose to react, we still choose to love them nonetheless. We still choose to be there. Don't, don't mistreat them either. Don't leave them hanging without teachers over there. Because if we do that while they're young, when they become of age, they're not going to want to come back to church. You know what? You treated me nasty. You gave me the ugly look. I showed up and you weren't there to give me instruction and share the scriptures with me. And so there is no reason well, we should be in need of Sabbath school teachers. By the way, if you're interested, I'll make this as an announcement. If you're interested in helping us with Sabbath school classes, let a brother know. Let one of the elders know. Let the Sabbath school superintendent know. We would love to recruit more people and get you involved in there to, to do this stuff because it's very, very important that we do this for our children. Train a child in the way he should go so that when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so this is very very, very important. Very, very important. This is crucial. And we all need to work. Faith without works is dead. You can't say you have faith and all you do is show up to church on Sabbath and then maybe you feel good because you put a couple of dollars in the offering plate. That's not how it works. It requires some level of work. Are you with me? Come on now. You can't say amen. What do you say? Ouch. Absolutely. Faith without work is dead. Psalm 40 verse 8. It says, I delight to do your will, O oh my God, and your law is within my heart. John 15 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice that it says abiding. 
It doesn't say you will earn it. It says you will stay in it. Proverbs 19.16, it says, He that keeps the commandments keeps his soul. But he that does not keep the commandments condemns his soul. Notice that keeping the commandments doesn't earn you your soul, but it helps you keep it. And you see that in the scriptures, and that's what we need to understand. Salvation is free. It is a gift. Salvation is free. It is a gift. But how we abide is by obedience. But obedience is not because we gotta, but it's because we wanna. And that's the difference. Because I can force you, put a gun to your head and force you to do whatever, but that's not free will. You got to actually say, Lord, I want to be more like you. Therefore, I want to walk in your ways. Go with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And when you have it, say amen. And then we're going to go to 1 Peter after that. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, beginning on verse 3, it says, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Verse 4, He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 5, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. I love that verse 5. We could always stop on verse 4, but verse 5 really brings it home. Whoever keeps his words truly know that the love of God is perfected in him. This is why I struggle sometimes keeping the commandments. This is why I struggle getting angry at a brother or getting brother, because the love of God is not truly perfected in me yet. And so when I see that, my intention should be to, Lord, I need you more in my life. I hate how I reacted to this brother in the church or this sister in the church. I hate how they reacted to my boss. Father God, I need your love in me. Does it feel like I'm beating a dead horse? Absolutely. I just told you 16 verses saying the exact same thing. And the thing is that when I pray and we say amen, half of you are still not going to get it. Half of you are going to go around saying, I want to live la vida loca because it is by grace and faith so I could do whatever I want. And the other half is going to say, you must, otherwise hellfire with you. Can you understand the balance of how it works? We love him, salvation is free. But because we love him, as in love is perfected in us, we will obey him as a demonstration of our love, as a manifestation of his spirit working in us. That it will become evident in our lives. Are you with me? Do you get it yet? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. When you have it, say amen. 1 Peter 2, 21. And then we're going to uh, do Galatians as the last place we'll visit. 1 Peter chapter 2, 21. For this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Remember that bracelet and the little signs from back in the day, WWJD, what would Jesus do? That was like a late 90s thing. You know, that was a fad. That was, that was 20 years ago. By the way, you guys are getting old, if you remember that. But do you understand that? What would Jesus do? Well, he was an example for us. He lived the right life. He was merciful. He was loving. He told us these silly things like turning the other cheek if someone were to hit us. Just turn the other cheek. Someone forces you to carry the pack for a mile. Carry it too. He was an example for us. So if you ought to wonder how we ought to live our lives, 
Look at Jesus for an example. He is the one that changes the heart. If we abide in his face, he will continue to transform us. So it is our job to maintain a connection with him. Steps to Christ, page 64. Last, last quote from Auntie Ellen. The closer you come to Jesus, the more faulty you will appear in your own eyes. I love this because, you know, I, it cracks me up when people love to compare themselves to others. You know, like, oh, yeah, I'm much better than this brother over here. I'm not as good as the sister over there, but, yeah, I'm certainly holier than you. And that's all right. There's always going to be somebody better or worse than you, especially in the walk with Christ. But when you compare yourself up to the Savior and the Messiah, you will really realize how filthy we are. And how you realize, like, this is a big job. I, I can't do this. I'm going to need to hire help. Well, the help is in the Lord. For your vision will be clearer and your imperfections will be seen in a broad and distinct contrast to his perfect nature. This is evidence that Satan's delusions have lost their power. That the vivifying influence of the Spirit of God is arousing you. He desires to restore you to himself, to see his own purity and holiness reflected in you. Pray more fervently, believe more fully, as we come to distrust our own power. Let us trust the power of our Redeemer, and we shall praise him who is the health of our countenance. I love this quote, one of my favorite quotes from Auntie Ellen, because it really puts it in perspective. Some of you guys, you struggle with guilt. I'm just evil. I'm just miserable. When you recognize how evil you are, you say, Amen, glory, hallelujah. As she puts it, you're no longer having blinders on thinking that you are all right. The problem is when you say we have peace and everything is good, that's when you know you're in trouble. Almost sounds like something Jesus says, doesn't it? You know, when, when we're saying that. And so when you see your life, when you're struggling, where there's something wrong, say, Amen, glory, hallelujah, and go right ahead and go before the throne of grace. And let Christ be the one to work in you. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. You surrender to God daily. This is something that you ought to be able to say. I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I, the little boy from, you know, uh, Villa España, Puerto Rico, or Camden, New Jersey. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jean-Francois from France. You may know him more famously as Messiah Charles Blondin. He is the one that crossed Niagara Falls back in 1960. Now, he did cross further down the river in 1959, but in 1960, he went all the way across the river. He did many stunts. That was one of the first of many in his life. He did all kinds of crazy things. He went out there with a little stove, put it right in the middle of this tight rope as he went across Niagara Falls from New York to Canada, parked in the middle, cooked an egg, omelet, ate it, and then he walked his way all the way up to the other side. He went out there. He was pushing a barrel. He was doing all kinds of things. He even convinced in one of the smaller sections further than the river, his own manager to hop on his back as he went all the way across. 
you know, the type road, but it's okay. It was further than the river. But one day he found himself across Niagara, you know, going across Niagara Falls, the actual gap, 22,000 feet, I think it was. It took him like 17 minutes. He goes out there. He's in a wheelbarrow balancing himself, going across, and the people are all excited. They're like, can you guys see that? Yay! You, do you believe I can do this again? Absolutely. Is there any doubt that I could go from here to there without falling? Woo! Y'all right. Can I get a volunteer to get in the barrel? And everyone was completely silent. Some of them went, <gasps> and waiting anxiously for some crazy guy. No one ever actually stepped forward. And I think the manager only did that because he was being paid. Uh, but anyhow, but no one stepped forward. And you see, that is the difference when it comes to God. Understand salvation is free. But when you truly own his love in you, you will see the effects of the Spirit working in your life. But understand that many of us, we root on the Lord every step of the way. Can I cross it? Yay! Can I do it again without falling? Woohoo! Ah! Ooh! Can I get you to surrender to me and give me your life wholeheartedly? Okay, Jesus, sure, go ahead. I'll take it. And we do that with Him. Isn't it time? That you truly surrender. And so don't look at anybody else here in the church. I want you to pause for a moment and look at your own life. Where are your thoughts? Where do you spend most of your time? Where do you spend most of your efforts and your money? Where is it that you do all of that? Could you spend five hours watching a movie marathon but only five minutes reading the scriptures if that? you got to ask yourself, where do you stand? I'm not even going to get into the Ten Commandments themselves because Jesus made it even worse for us. Some silly things like it is no longer me getting to know someone biblically that is adultery, but even just thinking about it, that is adultery. It is me no longer killing someone that's murder. If I get angry at my brother, it's like I kill my brother. So if you're struggling with that, isn't it time that you surrender to the Lord? It's in a time that you get in the barrel and let him be the one to have full control of your life. Because when you see that this is where your life is at as you compare it with the Savior, it is time to surrender and give in to him. Not to be safe, but because you are safe. Not to earn his love, but because you are loved by him. Not to get him to die for you all over again, but because he already died for you. He is dying to have a relationship with you and to be in your life. Won't you let him in? Won't you let go and enter the barrel? That is the true test of discipleship. When you surrender completely to him. If you say you have faith and there is no works, it is all dead. If you say you have faith and you don't walk the walk, it is all dead. Surrender to him. Let us go ahead and pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, I, I don't want to make an appeal here necessarily because I, I don't want to have everybody just get up because everybody else is watching. This is a private, personal thing. You know where we are. You know really who we are when no one is watching because you are always watching. And Father God, I pray that we're able to understand this balance, how you are giving us a gift. But if we've really accepted the gift, it would be manifested in how we live our daily lives. And I pray, Lord, 
If there's anyone here that has not fully let go, that has not fully accepted that gift, that has not fully trusted you with their lives and gotten into that barrel, I ask, Lord, that you give us the strength to do that and say, yes, Lord, I am here and I surrender to you. May you come into our lives, Father God. This is the test of being your disciples. We do want to be your disciples. And, and, and we are willing, but we are weak. We believe, but Lord, help our unbelief. Bless us and keep us now. Come into our lives. This is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen.